What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome to another week of Big Digital Energy. Chuck, what's going on, my man? Big props to the Georgia Bulldogs for winning the national title last night, beating the devil that is Nick Saban. Hey, did you see Nick Saban's post-interview? I thought it was good. No, nah, I did. And, and stood, and up, I was... stood up for the athletes and said that they're not defined by one game and was proud of them. I like Nick Saban. Well, and and to his credit, when he shook hands uh, after the game, he leaned in and just said, you kicked our ass in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I, mean, I posted the other day, I posted a screenshot, like everyone on Wildcatters has been wearing whoops, and I just made a joke that I make everyone wear them so that I can monitor their sleep and make sure that they're not getting too much sleep and that they're being productive. And someone replied, said, are you going to be taking Nick Saban's job at Alabama? And I was like, that is a Nick Saban thing. You would do that type of stuff. So that anyways, is. we had a good week in energy. Let's get into our first, uh, first story. Let's do it. How do you say that? What? I hate when we have company names. I don't know how to say it. I'm just like, man, I'm about Navitas. to go. Navitas. About to go out here and just look Navitas. like Navitas. Navitas. So first story of the week, enterprise products. Call it 3.3 billion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's the go. way to call it. <laughs> they don't give a shit how you say their name. Enterprise products has inked a deal to buy Navitas Midstream, a Warburg-backed natural gas gatherer and producer in the core of the Midland Basin for almost $3.3 billion. Chuck. Let's dive into this one. You and I were talking before. You know, it's like I hate the midstream game. It's just kind of no just more zero sum mentality people on the planet. <laughs> I like mean, literally, less... you toss a nickel out. It's like and... the least creative uh, industry, at least in oil and gas, in my opinion. But what do you think about this deal? So I hate midstream and I know nothing about <laughs> midstream, but I got a lot of friends that I trust about it. So a lot of texting this morning. Here are random things I heard. Valuation, I got the range of meh to good. So the valuation looked okay. It was kind of seven to eight times multiple of distributable cash flow. Some other comments I got is this is just the old school MLP mentality. You got to use your excess cash to grow for growth's sake. Um, an interesting point, you know, Dan Duncan, who founded and ran Enterprise for all those years and whose family's the largest unit holder there, he died in 2010 when there was no inheritance tax. So he was able to pass all his units to the family on, in effect, free of, of inheritance tax. So they still control the entity. And one of the things I've heard is that their basis is so low in these units that if they're distributing out excess cash or buying back units, they pay 35 40 percent tax on that so they would rather spend the cash acquiring a new asset and grow and in effect defer taxes on it and so that's kind of the the negative on on those guys and so i heard kind of two other good comments one is like why in the fuck would you let somebody go in your backyard and build a three billion dollar business which kind of a fair point and then the uh, the other good comment i liked is if these guys want to see their their share price go up they might want to go out and hire an executive that's younger than 65 years old. <laughs> oh, damn. We got the uh, boomer insult in there. I love it. <laughs> exactly. I'm Gen X. <laughs> by three years, but I made it. By... I, just so, don't, I don't know if there's a lot of executives younger than 60 that want to be executives of midstream. 
companies. So it's a small pool of people that kind of fit that description. Calling bomber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where's Blake Street bomber at? <laughs> so, exactly. Got some activity in the midstream space. Uh, so I don't think I don't think it portends to a growing wave of acquisitions. They just had excess cash. It's an asset that fit with them, and they have owners that would rather buy an asset than distribute cash. So I don't think this is a dynamic changer in any way. Got you. We had uh, someone on LinkedIn said, "I love the midstream." good for you yeah. we don't like mystery sure thing gw <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right we had some uh, activity in international affairs let's what do, do we have So, Colin, I tweeted this out yesterday that maybe this would be the underappreciated story of the week. I actually think this is a really big deal. So what you've got going on in Kazakhstan is you had the government basically withdraw some fuel subsidies. So energy prices went up. They've had deadly uprising. People out protesting, shutting in supply lines, people actually died, dying, rioting, etc., and what that's led to is that's actually led to disruptions at the Tinges. I mean, I can't believe you would name a field Tinges, but <laughs> the Tinges field operated by <laughs> Chevron. I, I'm reading it. Maybe there's a Kazakhstanian way to say that different. But, but anyway, so what that's led to is their oil production was down 6% in January. That's a big freaking deal. And why it's a big deal is if you remember talking to the oil whisperer, she says we're out of excess capacity in the world by the end of this year. And if you think about that, you start adding man-made constraints, riots, and that sort of stuff. That makes the problem even worse because everyone's mindset, because the last 15, 20 years, we really haven't had man-made supply constraints. Yeah, you had, you had uh, here and there, Libya, the Civil War, that type of stuff, but nothing major, nothing like the embargo back in the 70s. So if you start putting man-made supply constraints into this, that's a big deal. Yeah, I saw someone on Twitter, uh, boots on the ground there in Kazakhstan, and said that he doesn't think that the West is covering the story like it should be. He says it's a much bigger deal than what a lot of us think over here. And so I started diving into it a bit and you really start seeing the second order effects. You know, you have Russia potentially going into Ukraine and now Kazakhstan. So think about one, the restraints that we have to oil production, not only oil production, but uh, uranium. As yeah. They're well. 40% of the world's market. Exactly. And so Think about the disruption to supply chains there, but then if Russia starts engaging in a war and invading these countries, I mean, oil could moonshot in, in a very unhealthy way, in a dangerous way, right? I saw a very stark contrast on Twitter. I saw this uh, headline that said, you know, university endowments, the divestment in fossil fuels, you know, praising it as a good thing. And then another headline showing up rising in Kazakhstan over energy prices doubling. And I'm like, you stupid motherfuckers. Like this is 
you don't want to divest out of energy and create a man-made energy shortage because these are the types of things that happen. And so, you know, if we see on last week's show, our predictions, remember I said, I got to stick to my $200 uh, oil prediction for this year. It's like, it's not looking good. Now within a week, I'm like, oh shit, that could happen. You saw John, Ar John Arnold tweet about $150 oil coming with all of these things that are happening so um and you know if you get that acute of a price hike in such a short amount of time i mean it's not great for society so um hopefully you know people will take a look at what's happening and have some common sense and well and you didn't even touch on another derivative of this is we're uprising because our fuel costs are a lot United States, we're seeing Joe Biden stickers on every gas pump pointing to the price saying, hey, I did this. Europe, I mean, what are prices up in Europe? They've had a milder winter the last couple of weeks, so it's it's been somewhat restrained. But, you know, they're up 30 and 40 percent. There's a chance for contagion here. And uh, and so, I mean, this, I think, has the potential to be a powder keg and something we're probably going to talk about more in the coming weeks on bde yeah so speaking of supply shortage and uh producing more oil had a story from eog come out let's get into this one growth <laughs> i was in the room while uh chuck was recording the audio for that and Kind of scared me. I wasn't ready for it. Did it on four takes. <laughs> <laughs> growth, growth, so, growth. EOG came out and said, you want growth? We'll give you growth. They backed off it slightly by saying modest, maybe 5% growth in the back half of 2022. Chuck, what do you think about this? Because EMPs have been doing a really good job the last, uh, last year, really being restrained on uh, growing production and... I think that that's, you know, been well received by the market. Now you have EOG saying, okay, well, we'll start growing. What do you think about that? Good or bad? Well, well, one, EOG has the position in the industry that they can float this trial balloon and get feedback and, and see what investors think. I do think part of the problem with growth for the sake of growth is, and Mark Meyer and I talk about it on the podcast that's going to drop this week, is you sit there and grow your production and that's a defined number each quarter. But at the end of the day, no investor knows what the tail is worth. You know, you don't have production data on individual wells. You don't have pressure data. You can't sit and decline that stuff off. And so a lot of the problem that investors felt, you know, when they wanted free cash flow and the like was not we want free cash flow. It's we don't trust you. We can't tell. You say you're drilling a 40% rate of return well, but your PDP PV10 is less than than last year. And so I, it would be interesting to see if EOG can engage on this and potentially the compromise comes back with, yeah, you can grow, but give us more transparency. Give us more in the way, give us four reserve reports a year instead of one at the end. Give us a reserve report with sensitivity at different prices, show us some long-term forecasts on your production data. I think, I think that might be interesting. I doubt it comes to that. I mean, no EMP company will ever give up information without it being clawed out of their hands because they yeah. all think it's a competitive advantage. But at the end of the day, 
that's why it's, hey, we want to see cash and dividend. We want to see payback. So at least, at least get our money back. And then we're not taking such a risk that this tail is actually there. Yeah, I like that you brought up the uh, point of transparency because that seg segues great into our next story. An oil and gas company that just didn't have a ton of transparency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these, these are two good ones. Private equity shenanigans. <laughs> All right. So Heartland Group was accused by the SEC of making a $26 million Ponzi scheme payment. There's accusations of private jets, helicopters, etc. They raised $122 million and there's $500,000 left. Chuck. My, my, all my years of private equity training, my MBA in finance, that's bad. That's like bad wrong. <laughs> so let's... Let's talk. I don't, I don't let's talk about this a little bit. Uh, so I don't know who. I don't even. I never Heartland. ran across uh, Heartland groups. So I don't know who these these folks are, and so. But that's what the, that, that's always the thing that perplexes me about oil and gas scams is that it's always some group, and like no one's ever ran across them. Like no one knows about them, you know. And it's. I mean, they raised one hundred twenty-two million dollars, um, but I've never heard of them. That's, I mean, that's not an insignificant amount of money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is, and, and we need to be fair and say these are accusations. We don't, we don't know. We haven't independently verified them, but this is the thing that gives our industry such a bad name because literally since the time of, you know, Sir Colonel Drake finding oil in Pennsylvania, there have always been snake oil salesmen that go out and raise money. They promise get rich quick stuff. And it always seems like doctors and dentists fall for this. Dude, it's always doctors and dentists. We should create content for doctors and dentists not to get scammed by oil and gas deals. I like that. We got to do that. You know what would be We're going to hold an event for doctors and dentists. <laughs> teach them how and, not to get scammed. And you know what I want to do as part of that content is I want the dentist to have to sit there with their mouth open and not be able to talk and me ask questions. Because <laughs> every time I go, how are you doing? Oh, oh hi. Oh, but the yeah. tables have turned. So this is this just appears out and out fraud and all this. The next story is the one I want to talk about because this is pretty interesting. So all right, let's let's get into this one because this one was hot. Yes. on Twitter. So Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan, his son-in-law Joey Romeo. My daughter comes home marrying Romeo. <laughs> <laughs> Joey Romeo. <laughs> Romeo. Romeo. I thought it was Romeo. All right. I feel better about that. Don't trust. What is that? Is that Italian? What descent is it? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Kind of liked Romeo. Yeah. I may just call him Romeo, but uh, <laughs> I, I've never met him. Um, so his employer, he went to work for Apollo and they've been sued by Varun Mishra. And so here's how kind of the story goes. Uh, Varun contributes properties. Apollo puts in growth capital. That's kind of standard private equity deals. And here's where the ac accusations fly. Varun found a property to buy. Apollo said no. And then he claims they bought it with a different company. That's generally kind of a no-no in, in private equity land. But again, an accusation. 
Uh, Varun was fired, got $700,000 from a $30 million sale to Quantum. That's a bunch of he said, she said type stuff. I mean, private equity firms have to fire CEOs periodically because yeah. they're not doing their job. So I don't know what happened there. Here's what I found that's really interesting about it is Varun questioned millions. That's the quote. Millions of expenditures that Romeo had had charged to the company. And the response is, no, we didn't make millions of expenditures by the company. The response from Apollo says, no, they were legitimate expenses. If you're a $30 million company, what's millions of dollars of justifiable expenses? And I don't know this, but <clears throat> one of the things I'll tell you the SEC really cracked down on is SEC went into private equity funds and said, okay, you went out, you raised a fund from sophisticated investors. You said in your documents it was a 2% management fee or one and a half. If you use your management fee to go buy a jet, to go buy fancy wine, that's fine because the investors knew that. What the SEC has really started doing, particularly over the last call it, three to five years, is they go into the portfolio company because the private equity fund takes money, invests in a company, and then when that company has a board meeting at the Super Bowl and they buy a suite at the Super Bowl and they fly there in private jets, the SEC comes in and says, hey, you didn't tell your LPs that you were going to go to the Super Bowl and hang out in private jets and do all that. That's, in effect, charging them additional fees. The other thing they dug into is a lot of times private equity employees would be on the board and they'd charge board fees that the employee got, not the fund got. So again, LPs are in effect paying more in fees. And then private equity funds would do things like charge managing management fees, oversight fees, et cetera. So the SEC has really dug into that. And that's been an, a point of emphasis. It's going to be interesting watching this trial to see if stuff like that comes out. Because that's that's been a really big deal. Yeah, I mean, you know, my main takeaways from this and uh, BRV over on Twitter will really appreciate this. Like, you, can just, you can't trust private equity, guys. <laughs> that's why I keep Chuck at arm's length. Like, I don't trust him. I'm not a private especially, equity. I got kicked out of the club, dude. Especially, do not trust MBAs from Harvard. That's just, that, that's the rule <laughs> of thumb. So, anyways, Chuck, did we have a finger of the week this week? We do have a finger of the week this week, and hold on. Where did it go? We have a finger of the week this week. So OVO Energy, Drake's Energy Company. You might not know this. <laughs> got the label, got the energy company. Drake's out here doing big things. Why is, uh, why is, why is... Let, let's not throw Drake <laughs> under the bus. Um, this is a British utility. This is actually a subsidiary. They sent a letter to their customers, an email kind of a week or two ago about ways to say warm if you can't afford your electric bill. So it was snuggle with a pet. 
eat a warm bowl of porridge. I mean, we're going all Charles Dickens on this. Can, <laughs> so I, can I have some more some porridge? <laughs> have some no, more porridge? you should have it. They said... Depends. Can you afford it? You broke bitch. <laughs> <laughs> they said, don't eat chili because it makes you sweat, but it's okay to eat ginger. Interesting. They also said... So this, this reminds me, Texas polar vortex, gritty. You know, I had gritty. And so I'm giving everyone online the updates that Gritty's given me. And it's like, hey, shit's wrecked. Like the electricity's <laughs> going through the roof. If you can't afford your electricity bill, verbatim. This is what they said. Snuggle with some blankets. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, Tips. <laughs> I'm going to snuggle with some blankets. Um, so I feel for the people over in Europe uh, that are getting these because it's kind of a slap in the face. It's like, oh, electricity rates skyrocketing. Eat it's, some porridge. It's even worse. They said things like, Challenge your kids to a hula hoop off. <laughs> they said, kids, go, I know we're freezing. Grab the hula hoops. <laughs> they said, go clean your house. I mean, this is a, this is ridiculous. Jesus. So, like, yeah. They literally wondering why people are Tim, this, this story is so ridiculous that Tim's back there going off. So we need to give Tim a, a microphone. We do so need that, to give Bob back there is, a mic. Yeah, and then you know Germany shutting off nuke plants, uh, right in right in the face of this. It's just crazy, man. And I hope people are waking up uh, and understanding how important energy is, and understanding. I mean, there are clips from me two years ago on video saying this is exactly what happens when you don't have sound energy policy and you let uh, emotions and politics drive conversation. And so hopefully uh, people are starting to realize what's happening. Yeah, because at the end of the day, what I would hope would come out of it is at least a balanced discussion of pros and cons. If, if we truly want to get rid of carbon Let's have an honest discussion about what kind of lifestyle cutbacks we're going to have to make. Yeah. You know, to do that. And that that's what I hope comes out of it. Am I hopeful? No. Yeah. I no. think we'll still be demagogues somehow. It's not going to happen. So anyways, guys, thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, catch us next week, Tuesday, 1030 a.m. Central Time. Make sure to subscribe to the BDE newsletter. If you haven't done that, you can go to digitalwildcatters.com. Go to BDE down on the homepage. You'll find it. Subscribe there. We'll catch you guys next week.